so if you listen to part one, this is part two, um, I talked about a moment on the office where Jim is holding up a picture of himself um, and is apparently upset because there are so many things that have happened between the points in time that represent his younger self and present self that he wishes he could go back and warn his former self about the future. And I was laughing because that's a trap. Looking back in time and saying, what if, what if, it's just a source and a fire for anxiety because the fact of the matter is we are where we are and we must push onward. So this is part two. Um, It may not make sense to you if you didn't listen to part one, so listen to part one first and then come back. Yeah, so please enjoy, subscribe. I don't, I mean, it doesn't really affect, like, Part of me wants to ask that, but then part of me doesn't care at all. So if you don't want to, like... Yeah, no, I see that. I mean, it can definitely be frustrating very often in the legal profession. It is smaller scale. You know, you're you're not making policy or anything like that. You're just helping one individual at a time. So it can feel a little bit like, wow, you know, just very slowly, slowly, like, making progress. The progress doesn't seem very profound or, like, substantial on a, on a kind of surface level, but it is. Because for that individual, yeah. it means everything to get the difference between 15 years in, in a federal prison versus getting probation or some lesser sentence. It means everything to them. No, I definitely, I definitely feel the frustration though in that, you know, especially the legal system, it's so slow to change. If you want change on that sort of larger level, that occurs very slowly at like a, just, it, it, it can be very frustrating. The, the impact of what you do may not seem big, like in the moment of when you're, you know, when you're helping them, right? But like beyond your existence or my existence or whomever's existence, what could happen afterwards could be so profound. That saying, a drop in the bucket, but it's like a bucket that has to have that drop because every drop counts towards something so much greater. No, exactly. And that's what I love about the legal profession is it's such a human profession. In the law, you very often see people at their worst, right? You know, you're not going to a lawyer because things are going well in life. Something went wrong (laughs) along the way. Law has so many different fields you can get into, like technology or I'm blanking on other, you know what I'm saying? But it's so like interdisciplinary, like... No, no, I think that makes sense, you know? I mean, the law is completely diverse. But it's because injustice can happen in so many different spheres of life. I think that's why law is so interdisciplinary. It can happen in so many different places where someone is wronged that I think that's why the law applies to such a diversity of fields. Yeah, I mean, not everything has to be, you know, criminal law, you know, and I I don't actually, I don't even do criminal law. And not really. I mean, I, I touch it, you know, a little bit, you know, in my role as a as a law clerk for a judge. But that's not really what I do. You know, it's it's more of like the civil stuff. And and yeah, you know, you, you see injustice pop up in like many different ways in different areas of the law. You don't only have to do criminal, the criminal cases in order to make a difference. You can make a difference in many different areas of the law, you know, like labor and employment, for example. Do you remember what you wrote 
in your application to Princeton? And then what you wrote for that essay, was it different for your Harvard essay or? Um, yeah, no, I remember. Uh, so for my Princeton essay, I wrote about my dad getting cancer. And I wrote about that jump that I made from sophomore year to junior year and just feeling like I needed to do something, just feeling that fire, just that fire to do something with my life. That's what, that's really what my essay was about. And for law school, you know, I think, gosh, what was that essay about? It was about, it kind of, it kind of went back to like experiences that I had like in childhood. You know, I think I was interning for the New York City Department of Corrections at the time when I was, you know, when it was time for me to like write my my personal essay for law school. And my essay was really a reflection on on my time with the New York City Department of Corrections and just kind of, you know, observations that I made about about justice and like where I come from and uh cuz I was at the time I was working on a we were, I think New York City was trying to figure out how to better house transgender inmates just because of, you know, the extreme levels of violence that they can face uh, if they are housed in certain, in certain, in certain areas of, you know, the, the jail. Um, and so New York City was trying to really figure that out, how to make this better. And so I was part of like a, a team where we were kind of reflecting on that. And just, you know, I had, you know, spend some time thinking about like, wow, you know, like what it must be like to be, because, you know, very often the people that are going to jail and going to prison are people of color and to add being, you know, transgender. And, you know, this was a different time also. This was like 2011, 2012. So it was a different time back then. And just, you know, just kind of, you know, I reflected on that experience and just thought about all of the hardships that people have to go through. And I sort of related it back to what I went through growing up and why I wanted to go to law school, just because, you know, I wanted to help people and I was tired of feeling powerless and sort of like those themes kind of running through that essay. Yeah, that they were kind of just, you know, there were multiple themes going on there with just like, you know, working at a at a jail at Rikers Island and sort of seeing all of just like injustices that are there, you know, like all of these sort of things that are kind of messed up and just relating that back to my experience in childhood and like feeling like I was powerless to help people and sort of wanting to do that. And so I think my my like summer at the New York City Department of Corrections was sort of just like a a vehicle for me to reflect on like what I wanted to do and tie that back to who I was and where I come from and where I want to go in the future. So would you say the predominant theme of that was tracing your current experience with Rikers to your childhood and feeling powerless? Or would you say the predominant theme was wanting being someone who wants to help people? I think all of the above. Okay. I think those application essays can be so difficult because I think I think a very powerful essay is when you can do all of that. Uh when you can relate it to who you are and you know what your maybe your current position is because you don't necessarily want to just write an essay about how you grew up 
you know? You want to, like, tie it to a concrete experience. So for me, that concrete experience was working for the New York City Department of Corrections. Um, So that was a good vehicle for me to sort of be reflective and, and tie it back to who I was and how I see myself helping people in the future with a law degree. I see what you mean, yeah. So, I mean... I want to talk a little bit about how after you graduated from Princeton, this, what year was it? I think it was 2013, 2013, 13, sorry. So after you graduated, you took a year off, you said to go to AmeriCorps or was it just a time to think? I was just, honestly, I was really burnt out. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I was really burnt out. And so I had actually gotten into Harvard Law School while I was in Princeton Um, But I deferred a year because I knew I did not, I could not go straight through from four years at Princeton to another three years at Harvard. I just did not have that in me. So I needed a break. And a lot of law schools, increasingly, they like people to have a little bit of a gap there just because, you know, you get a little, a little life experience, a little work experience. And so that's being more widely accepted. I think, I think most people, you know, maybe like, 20 years ago or something would just go straight through, but a a greater percentage of people are actually taking some time off and law schools like that. And so I felt comfortable taking a year off just to go do something that, that I wanted to do. I ended up working at a public middle school in uh, San Jose, California. And for me, that was important because I wanted to be in a position where I could relate some of my experiences to a, a younger generation and just kind of be as corny as it sounds, just be a role model for them, just to kind of yeah. say, like, look at like me, like I am a Mexican woman from a very similar neighborhood that that you guys are from, you know, lower income, predominantly Mexican neighborhood. And I was able to do these things. I want you guys to realize that, like, you can do that, too. It's hard, it's, you know, blood, sweat, and tears along the way, but it is possible. And so I wanted to spread that message as much as I could, so I spent a year doing that. After that experience, then um, your deferment was finished, and then you began Harvard Law. What would you say the the most difficult part of being at Harvard Law was for you, if there was a difficult part? I think for me, the most difficult part is that the law is like learning a new language. And I didn't have any lawyers in my family, you know, so I didn't know what kinds of things are important. And so not only are you learning this new language, as you're going through your course material, you're learning all these like strange Latin phrases. And it's like, what is what does all this stuff mean? So you're doing that. But then you're also figuring everything else out too. And like the culture is different. And it, it, I guess I would liken it. I, I, I think it's maybe similar to, you know, the transition that I made from high school to Princeton, which was my high school was a good high school, but you know, it's not Princeton. Princeton has its own, it's got its own culture. And, you know, for, I think for people of color who are lower income, it can be quite a shock. And so I think Harvard was maybe similar in that that was an experience that I had in that transition, I think, from going from Princeton to Harvard, although I did have a little bit more experience now because I I was transitioning from Princeton to Harvard instead of, you know, 
high school in Chandler, Arizona to Princeton. I think the the change was a little less dramatic, but it was still there. Um, and so just kind of figuring everything out and like, you know, trying to realize what's important. Like, what is law review? Um, like, I had no idea what what law review is or what clerkships are and like what kinds of things are important. And so that took some time for me to figure it out. And I actually, you know, what I'm doing right now is clerking. And I didn't even know what clerking was really until maybe like pretty late in the game. So like maybe second year of law school, third year of law school. I didn't really know the importance of clerking um, just because I didn't have lawyers in my family, you know, to like kind of look to and explain those things to me. So that was, I think, the most difficult is just Again, feeling like a fish out of water. You know, it's a whole new experience. You're learning a new language and you're you're trying to navigate everything. And it's it's hard when you don't have anybody to ask questions to. In high school, you said you found a community of people similar to you to connect with. Did you find a similar community at Princeton or Harvard or was it you felt like a fish out of water? No, it wasn't the whole time. I think it is important, you know, when you're feeling that way to kind of seek those communities out. And I was lucky. I I found that community in the Latino affinity group at Harvard. And I think that's what, that's what a lot of people do. You know, like I think the black students, they also go to, they find their, they find their group like BALSA, which is the Black Law Students Association. And for the Latinos, it's Alianza, which is the Latino affinity organization. And that's where you really just, you know, you find like your group, you find your people, like people that you can relate to and they help you get through it because it can be such a culture shock but they're going through the same culture shock as you so it's it's nice to be able to like go through those experiences with other people instead of alone who would you say like what class or what professor would you say has had the most impact on you from princeton or harvard a professor or a class yeah hmm I would say probably as far as a class, I took criminal procedure uh, my first year of law school. It was, I think, maybe the first time where ever, academic for me ever, really, where something I was learning had real life, very obvious, immediate implications and like parallels to real life. So like, criminal procedure is all about your rights, right? So like, when can the police stop you? What is required? Like reasonable suspicion, probable cause, what are your rights when the police do stop you? You know, when do they need to read you your Miranda rights? And it was just a very practical, real world class. And I think I don't think I've ever had a class like that before. And so criminal procedure and my background growing up in a lower income, predominantly Mexican community, I was very interested in criminal procedure specifically because, you know, we had interactions with the police that were not very, they were not positive. And so I wanted to learn my, I had a personal interest in wanting to learn more about criminal procedure specifically. There are other classes that are also They have parallels with the real world, like employment law being one of those, you know, where you kind of just learn like, okay, what are employers allowed to do? What constitutes employment discrimination or sex discrimination or race discrimination? So all that stuff is all good stuff. But criminal procedure for me was just that hit home. That class was definitely, I think, had the the biggest impact on me. And and I still to this day, you know, I, I took that class 
several years ago already, but I still sort of look at my outline to kind of keep fresh on some of the concepts that I learned in that class, just because they're so, they're so applicable to everyday life. A class that has practical application. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I find that so, I find that so profound that you even today, you still find it useful. Like, how many of us can say we we know of a class to this day? We still go back to the notes. We, we still find it, you know, valuable. So would you say that your community now, like from Arizona, the Latino community, would you say they've had better experiences with the police since your time at Princeton and, you know, leaving high school? Or would you say it's about the same? I don't know, you know, because I feel like having I feel like I've been a little bit isolated. I've been sort of in this ivory tower. For a little while, I've been, you know, at Princeton, where I think the interactions, I think, I think being at Princeton, bring it being at Harvard, and then being a lawyer, I think, I think I'm probably a little bit isolated from those kind of those kind I, I like, I think the police are probably not, you know, knocking on lawyers doors. They're probably not knocking on Princetonians doors or, you know, Harvard Law students doors. Um, so they're not really going through, I think, a lot of those experiences. And as a student at those schools, you know, I benefited from kind of being isolated from all of that. So it's been a minute since I've really been home and been back in those neighborhoods that I grew up in. So I'm not I'm not sure to what degree I think things are getting better just because I haven't been around. I've just been so isolated in these communities where those aren't really problems. Uh, so I'm interested to go back. I mean, I'm going back to, I'm going back to Arizona next year to work for another judge. So I'll kind of be back in my same neck of the woods, but again, I'll be, I'm going to be a lawyer working for a judge. And so I'm just, I'm not, I'm a little bit, I still feel like I'm part of my community, but definitely a little bit more. I've taken a couple of steps back from it, unfortunately, for better or worse. Even though you've taken a couple of steps back, you still strongly identify with the needs of your community, right? Because some people, they take those steps back when they go to like Princeton or Harvard and then completely forsake their community. And it's like, oh, who are you guys? I mean, it's easy. It's easy to do that because, you know, and especially, you know, when you're a big law attorney and you're making $200,000 a year, it's easy to just take your paycheck and be like, you know, okay great. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Santa Barbara for the weekend, you know, bye. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to, you know, all these great, wonderful places and kind of forget that like, wait a second, they're actual, like, why did I go to law school again? Like, okay. Yeah. To like fix some of these like larger issues in communities that I come from. So, you know, it's definitely easy to sort of lose sight of why you went, why, you know, I went to law school and why, you know, I'm sure a lot of people go to law school. You just kind of have to remind yourself of why you went there and and what your future goals are. You have to be reflective and introspective and like think back to what your original purpose was. Cause like you said, it's so easy to just not even like out of malicious intent, but just the grind of working and studying. It's you just can get more and more, especially in places like Princeton and Harvard, where there are so many not low income people. There are so many not Latino people. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so it's, it can be a struggle to really like retain that original sense of like what what you came here to do. No, definitely, 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 and it's not yeah, not necessarily malicious. I think I think just you know you get used to you get used to a certain grind and sort of just kind of lose sight 
I don't know if ne- I don't know if it's necessarily like once a week. Uh, you know, like maybe like for me, I, I don't do it nearly as much as I would like to, but I want to try to do more like pro bono legal work, which is pro bono just means free, basically. And kind of instead of being, you know, that $600 an hour attorney offer like free legal services to, you know, like a, a community clinic that like they need help with conservatorship applications or something like that. And so that's a good way for me, at least I don't do it nearly as much as I should, but to sort of stay involved and kind of remember like why I went to law school. Yeah. And what are conservatorship applications? People who need like a, not like a guardian, I don't know, uh, the conservator is is the word, but they need somebody to sort of take over certain aspects of their life just because, you know, they might they might have like some kind of mental disability or a physical disability that prevents them from making certain decisions like financial decisions or something like that. So it's a way for people for like, like a loved one, like maybe like your mom or your dad to sort of take over some of your obligations and like, basically, like, become like a power of attorney kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You went to Princeton, then you went to Harvard Law, and then you started clerking for a federal judge and then you're going to move to an appellate working for an appellate judge can you explain a little bit the hierarchy of law because i'm like those terms are foreign to me yeah so i mean it depends what area of the law you're in right so like clerking is always really great what i do now is like clerking is when you basically you go work for a judge uh, and you just learn an incredible amount about how the court system works and how the judiciary works which is different. I mean, uh, not all lawyers are going to encounter that's not all lawyers are going to encounter, you know, the judiciary. Not really. There are some lawyers who, you know, what they do all day is they make deals. So they just they they draft contracts. And, you know, that's very different than what maybe a litigator would do, which, you know, they go to court more often, you know, that's like it's adversarial, you know, you have one party suing another party. So, you know, you might have occasion to go before a judge. In the litigation kind of realm, the hierarchy is, well, you sort of have, you have state courts and then you have federal courts. Right now, I work for a federal, for a federal judge. And there's different rules for like when your case might be before a state court judge and when it might be before a federal judge. But as far as the federal judiciary, there's sort of three levels to it. There's the district courts, which is what I do right now. I clerk for a judge on the district court level. And then there's the appellate courts, which basically the appellate courts, they're broken up into like districts. They're broken up into circuits is what they're called. California, Arizona, you know, Alaska and Hawaii, they're all like in the Ninth Circuit. So that's where I'll be clerking is in the Ninth Circuit. And then different areas of the country are broken up into other circuits. So, you know, New York is in the Second Circuit and Florida is in the Eleventh Circuit. And then, so you have the district courts, the appellate courts, and then you have the U.S. Supreme Court. Those, that's really the levels to it. There's nothing really higher than the U.S. Supreme Court. So that's really it. So I'll be working for the district court, an appellate court, and then not the U.S. Supreme Court. But, you know, I'm not closing off those options. Maybe I'll throw out an application. We'll see if they bite. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that would be so cool. I mean, sorry to sound like a fangirl, but like if you (laughs) worked at the Supreme Court, I don't know, I feel like just like living vicariously through you, like that would just be such a cool (laughs) experience. You know what I'm saying? 
I mean, there's only, so there's nine justices, right? And they each get four clerks. And, you know, so there's only 30, what is that, 36 positions. So, you know, it's not very many. So chances are, you know, if I threw out an application to the U.S. Supreme Court, I would not, I would not be chosen for the job. But hey, you know, you you never get a, a job or you never get anything that you don't apply for. That's the that's the approach that that was my viewpoint, you know, when I applied to Princeton, when I had, you know, only one year of AP and IB grades to show to show any college. But so, you know, people thought I was kind of crazy to apply to Princeton because it's like they're not going to take you like you. I mean, in, you know, junior year, I had a couple I had a couple of B's, you know, like I wasn't that great in calculus, you know, so I got a B. And so people just thought I was crazy to apply to Princeton. But you know what? You're never going to get. You'll never get into Princeton. You'll never get into Harvard if you don't throw out the application. So that's always been sort of my my approach to doing kind of scary things. It reminds me of that Michael Scott quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I don't even know if that's Michael Scott who originated, <laughs> if it's from the office or like someone else. But yeah, that's so true. Like it's like a cliche, but it's so important because I mean, I feel the same way in high school. I was so like my self-esteem was so horribly low that I was like, no one's going to accept me. I don't know if any college will take me. And so I applied to like as many as I could that coming spring. Everyone said yes, except Harvard, where I was waitlisted. And I was just like shocked because I was just expecting like, oh, who's going to want me? Like, and I knew how competitive it was. So I was just like, really, it's so hard to get in. Like, how am I going to get that? If I let the fear dictate my actions. No, exactly. That's what that's what I did do, you know, in elementary school and in middle school and half of high school. I was just too scared, really to like be in the honors classes because I thought, you know, well, nobody looks like me and I'm not smart enough. But at some point, if you want to, if you want these things, you want to like pursue these certain goals, look fear in the eye and like, you know, just say, you know, whatever, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. We met through community action. And when I was coming to Princeton, the options you had outdoor action you go out into the wilderness basically and you camp and you like hike etc and then community action where you do community service projects in different sectors like hunger like soup kitchens or health or like a clinic i'm wondering why did like did you did you already have some tie to community action or did you just prefer one over the other yeah so uh i had the the same choice you know it was outdoor action or ca community action i was already kind of community oriented in that like you know i i wanted i just had i think always like this this like affinity for just being around people and just wanting to help out and so that kind of just seemed like the natural choice for me you know cuz and especially cuz outdoor action was like and so it just seemed like a better choice and i liked hunger which is the one that we that we both did I liked hunger because you got a you got an opportunity to kind of just talk to regular folks. Uh, we lived yeah, in a yeah. we lived in a church, and you know I think we uh, I don't remember if we volunteered at a food bank. I don't. I think it's it's different different years. And so yeah, you're just talking to regular folks and just like you know the community, and you're just lending a helping hand, and it's just you know that kind of stuff has always made me. That's always been very fulfilling for me. And especially because I come from a lower income community where like people I know are going to food banks. Um, And so if I can, if I can like help out at a food bank, like I want to do that because, you know, it just feels, feels like home for me. 
Yeah, I remember we were at a soup kitchen, I think, and then also like a Meals on Wheels service for people who couldn't like, yeah, get meals from. And I remember the reason I remember is because like, for example, the Meals on Wheels service, I had to enter one of the the homes of the people who needed a meal. I stepped in something disgusting. And so like everyone was just like, yeah, it was just one of those memorable moments before I even begin my first semester of Princeton. But I mean, no one like made fun of me for it, but it was just like one of those memorable experiences. Not the most glamorous. Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) This was actually like people in need of actual assistance. So yeah. Yeah, no, it was in Trenton, which, you know, yeah, very, very different community than Princeton. Like Princeton is, if I had to guess, I'd say like maybe the median home price in Princeton is like, I don't know, maybe like a million dollars or something. And like, it's where the professors live and, you know, just a very wealthy town. So compare that to Trenton, where median house prices, I don't even know what, but it's not, it's not nearly a million dollars. Yeah, we were definitely in the thick of it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm someone, like, I grew, like, I spent years in New Jersey, living in New Jersey before applying to Princeton. And so, like, I've been to Trenton before. Trenton, I already was familiar as someone who basically is a New Jersey native, right? Because I was born in Manhattan, but I only lived in New York for, like, some of my childhood, right? Like, it was most of my life that I was in New Jersey. So when I tell you guys that Trenton is a different experience from Princeton completely, like, trust me, it's a different experience. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I agree with you 100%. So thank you so much. Like, this was such an enlightening conversation. I'm sorry I took up so much of your time. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, this is the stuff I love to do, right? You know, like, to the extent that, you know, anybody can listen to you know anything i've done and maybe take some inspiration or just take some guidance you know i love doing this stuff this is what i i love doing this so no definitely you know thank you for for you know letting me kind of giving me this platform to talk about those experiences yeah i mean do you have any last you know words you want to share advice anything like that the thing that you know that i think about often um, is how my life would be different if I didn't take chances. How scary, just like utterly scary those those chances can can be and just how time consuming and how, you know, daunting. It's a lot of work, you know, if you're in high school or something and you're maybe toying with the idea of like throwing out an application to, you know, like UCLA, which is like, you know, a very good public university and or throwing out an application to, you know, Princeton, which is a very good private university. And it's it's hard because, you know, it's a long it's a long game. You know, you got to like you got to get good grades in every class and you got to like put in the work for extracurriculars and like, you know, so it's it's hard when, you know, it's a day in day out kind of grind for a chance you know, just a chance at those places. So, you know, I would just say, just keep going. I found that most, most of the time in my life, when I really put in that work, good things happen. 